0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Look out, Day. he needs 23, he's across the 40, open up the history book. here comes Ronde. What kind of mythical powers does a Sun have? we got to consider that.
1: It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but
2: we're 3-1 somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good.
1: Jaworski Lane, at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to a Week 13 Recap Edition. Of the roadwire college football podcast the dan lefevre of college football podcast nick whalen joined as i always am by rotowire uh college football guru of content jonathan mckechnie uh john we have a ton to get to uh beyond what was a fantastic rivalry week in college football that gave us some of the most memorable uh rivalry games especially all on the same weekend uh that we've had in a really long time so we'll get to of course ohio state and michigan uh, we will get to Wisconsin, Minnesota, begrudgingly. We'll get to Oklahoma State, <laughs> Oklahoma. Uh, but I think, I think we need to start with one of the biggest stories of the entire college football season, if not the biggest, uh, which being somewhat of an off-the-field story involving Lincoln Riley now heading to USC, uh, seemingly out of nowhere. I, uh, I was at, at Lambeau Field yesterday uh, for, for Packers-Rams, so I was kind of off my phone for most of the day. As, as always, you get like terrible reception in any mm-hmm. stadium ever. Um, and on top of that, John, on, on the way home, as I'm getting into my car to drive from Green Bay back to Milwaukee, uh, I was wearing sweatpants because I had them under my my second pair of pants that I had since taken off for the drive home. And as as anyone who's ever worn sweatpants knows, if you keep your phone in your left pocket when you climb into a car, uh, it can create a situation where the phone will slide out of the pocket. That's exactly what happened. At the same time, I did not notice that this happened. I slammed the door shut and caught my phone perfectly, making oh. like the worst crunching noise of all time. Oh. My phone, my phone, like immediately short circuited. Uh, save, save for like 7% of the screen on the bottom that still lights up. It's just like a black screen with like really troubling lines going through the middle of it. Um, but the phone itself still works. Like it's, it's like, you know, I'm driving home and I'm like, I know I'm like getting text messages or getting updates on, on the Sunday night game. Cannot check them at all. It's oh, like
2: almost worse in a way. It was way.
1: terrible. Yeah. It's like, I, I, like, I couldn't even shut it off, but I don't know how this happened, but like, you know, when you try to shut off an iPhone, you hold like the volume up button and the power button. Whenever mm-hmm. I did that, it just started making like a police siren noise. It was like, oh whoop, good, whoop. like what's going on? Like am I accidentally calling nine hundred and eleven? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I just had to, I just had to leave it there, like you know, buzzing every you know twenty minutes or whatever. Um, and I, I'm a pretty big phone guy. I, You know, I'm not, I'm not shy about that. I like checking scores. I like being on top of things. So it was a very long uh, sullen drive home uh, from Green Bay. But at least the Packers got the win. All this is to say, uh, I, I really was not fully clued in on the Lincoln Riley news until I got home, got on my computer and saw that college football Twitter was completely blowing up. This is an insane move, right? I mean, this is pretty much, at least in recent times, like unprecedented, right? For for a coach to go from, you know, one of the top three or four programs in the country to obviously a a program in USC that has a ton of tradition and has been on that hill, but but hasn't been there in so long. I mean, Lincoln Riley has always done a really good job, I think, of deflecting, whether it's been NFL interest for the last five Mm -hmm. or 10 years, uh, or, or whether it's been other jobs like you know Miami, USC, LSU, whatever it is, um, and, and then he just you know makes this jump less than 24 hours uh, after Oklahoma loses to Oklahoma State. I, I mean, it's it's not an exaggeration to say that this this really did send shockwaves. I think through the college football world, and I, I'm still I'm still trying to catch up and read as much as I can, and it's just a crazy scenario.
2: It's it's unbelievable, and the and the the ripples from this are so significant because you know I, I think the only time in, in recent memory that like a, a, a coach from a big program kind of got hired away to another big program. I mean, I guess the Jimbo Fisher from Florida state to AM is like a yeah. close, but Oklahoma to, to USC is like a cut above that. And, um, you know, for, for Saturday night to happen the, the way that it did with, with Oklahoma losing a close one to Oklahoma state, Lincoln Riley getting grilled at the press conference, like, you're going to LSU, aren't you? You're going to LSU, and he's like, "I'm not the next coach of LSU." He ain't. He answered honestly. Uh, he 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 didn't necessarily say that he was going to be coaching in Oklahoma for for uh, for the bowl game or or moving forward. He just said he wasn't next LSU coach. He wasn't lying. Um, but man, I I thought that just the way that USC has been trending downward, they were going to be the one of all these schools with, with all these big schools with job openings this this hiring season. USC was going to be the one that ended up disappointed. And instead, they won it. And now, USC is oh, it, like, USC is back before they even play a game under Lincoln Riley. Like, this is so significant, in my opinion. Um, I think that he's going to be able to do things recruiting wise and, and helping re solidify that, that kind of hold on Southern California talent in a way that obviously SC. Has not been able to do in recent years, and you know, Clemson, Bama, Georgia, all these other schools coming in and, and poaching that talent from Southern California. I think it gets a lot harder when Lincoln Riley's there, and Lincoln Riley was doing an amazing job getting kids to Norman. Which I mean, I mean Oklahoma is is a good program, and and they should be getting five star recruits and everything. But I think USC is an even easier sell for that kind of thing, and the way that he runs his offense, I think that 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 marries up so nicely with with what I, I think usc wants to do and like kind of what you think of when you think of usc and explosive offense and and all that stuff so this suddenly makes you know it puts another power back in the west that had been dormant for you know the better part of, of a decade save for like the sam Darnold rose bowl year so this is crazy in oklahoma man this this clearly has completely um railroaded them i mean you, you look at all the oklahoma twitter accounts recruiting twitter even their beat writers and everything, they're in full-blown panic. They don't know who they're gonna get next. They've had to go the Barry Alvarez route and get Bob Stoops to coach I the love bowl that. game. That's I, the best I, part I love about
1: this. <laughs> I, I, I love I read I read that he was in the meeting when they announced to the team that Lincoln was leaving. And it's just like he's just like sitting in the back, like lurking, like, oh yeah, I'm back.
2: <laughs> yeah, just rubbing his hands together. He's like, All right, boys, <laughs> settle up. Um, but man, it I mean, we've seen Spencer Rattler hit hit the transfer portal today. Theo Wee's like right before we jumped on here the receiver he's in the transfer portal we saw the the number one uh quarterback in the 2023 class he's decommitted like a bunch of guys have stepped back from their commitments to to oklahoma now so this it it not only impacts them for next year but beyond and you know people are asking the the obvious questions you know does caleb williams try to follow him to, to usc what happens there and all of this right before Oklahoma is about to go to the to the SEC. You know, I don't think it's going to happen that this uh, in twenty twenty two, but it's happening in the next couple of seasons. And they've completely gotten that what was I think easy to consider one of like the strongest foundations of of any program just completely crumbled from underneath it. And I don't know how that they, how they're going to be able to to kind of manage this on the fly.
1: Yeah, yeah. The timing is really tough, obviously. Uh, for recruiting purposes, and, and as you alluded to, I mean, Malachi Nelson, Makai Lemon, DeAndre Moore, all top 25 guys, all decommitting from Oklahoma. Um, and then all three of those guys somehow are high school teammates. I mean, this is this is the most talent compiled uh, on a high school team since I would say the Wrightstown Tigers up in northeast Wisconsin, mm-hmm. in That's 2009 right. 2010. Um, but you have to imagine, I mean, if you read the statements from those guys, it's like any statement that a 17 year old kid puts out is always hilarious, but yeah, um, I think Malachi Nelson's was like. I'm decommitting from Oklahoma, but I will not be reopening my recruitment. Like, what does that mean? You just, like, you're just sitting this one out? Like, no, I think we know exactly what's going on here. Pretty good chance that all those guys who uh, are from, you know, a a USC area high school uh, will will probably end up with Lincoln Riley there. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting because as Oklahoma crumbles, like USC seems to be building back just as quickly. You know, it's like all those pieces that are crumbling away from Oklahoma are like basically going directly to USC and you know, there's there's still maybe going to be a waiting period. It's not like they're going to be a you know a 13 and 0 team all of a sudden next year. But you know, you think of like didn't Saban go like six and six his first year, and then all of a sudden you're 12 and one the next year once that talent hits. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it does feel like USC is now back on that kind of trajectory. And it's I think it's really frustrating. Like one, if you're another team in the Pac 12. Two, if you're an Oklahoma fan, uh, and three, like you nothing, USC has made so many slip ups, like year after year after year, you just continue to slip up. Um, and all of a sudden, you, you kind of just luck your way into this. Like it's it's like when you know the Lakers, like LeBron James, just decided he wanted to sign with the Lakers, despite the fact that they had made a decades worth of terrible personnel moves. Um, you just kind of get bailed out here if you're USC.
2: Yep. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing how how that works, and in, in the the draw of Los Angeles. And um, uh, I'm I'm friends with with some people that that run a, a Pac-12 specific podcast. Shout out the the No Truck Stops Pod. And yeah, the, their, their sentiments were, was pretty much in lockstep with what you were saying there where um, they were enjoying USC just kind of being down and, and, and having to go through the, the laughing stock stages um, of a program. And, and they, they'd kind of become that in recent years. And now it's like, oh, well, that's over. So any sort of window that we thought we had open, uh, if we're fans of some program in, in the Pac-12 South or really the Pac-12 in general. I still think Oregon, um, as long as Cristobal stays there, not not a certainty necessarily. Um, yeah, it, it just feels like, net, like starting in 2023, this is USC's conference to lose.
1: So my last question to you on this before we move to recapping the actual games from the weekend. How, how much of a chance is there in the back of your mind that maybe we're speaking in absolutes when Lincoln Riley has not even stepped foot on campus yet? And it, it kind of reminds me in some ways of the party that went on when Tom Herman announced he was going to Texas and it was mm-hmm. a lock. Texas was back. This was the greatest possible hire. And we know how that turned out two or three years later. Obviously, Lincoln Riley is more accomplished. Um, I, I think there are, there are a number of reasons that you'd feel better about him succeeding here. But, you know, it, it's, it's kind of easy to forget in hindsight, like how much of a lock Tom Herman being a success at Texas was and how much of a bust that ended up being like, is there is there any. Sliver of doubt in your mind that Lincoln Riley making this move um, could end up backfiring in any way.
2: I, I don't think so. I think that that's a, that's a great question to, to round this out on. And, uh, you know, obviously Herman, the, the way that he coached up that, you know, he had such a big role in in that Ohio state championship team goes to Houston uh, that they kind of become like the first, like truly like scary group of five team, um, in like the in the college football playoff era and that you know they, they boat race Florida State in that in that one uh New Year's Six game and you're like dang like Herman Herman's a stud and and then of course you, you thought that once he gets to cook with the ingredients at Texas that, that it was going to work out and it it obviously didn't um I, you do kind of have to wonder with, with how Sark went this year that maybe they pulled the plug too early I don't know seems like that Texas has its own kind of bag of issues and, and USC is not completely clear of that either. I think that they've got some, you know, stuff that you have to deal with out there uh, as far as their administration that it's probably not as fun as as or as easy as Lincoln Riley completely having uh, complete dominion over, over the uh, Oklahoma program the way that he did. So it's a fair question to ask. And, and you know, we, we can't speak it in these complete absolutes, you know, without him having single, coached a single game or, or even run a single spring practice out there. But I think just with what he did it, um as a as a coach at, at oklahoma and just yeah taking them to playoffs almost perennially you just kind of expected them to have a heisman level quarterback at all times It i have a hard time thinking this is going to fail but i guess with, with the usc and the way things have been there you you can't say that it, it is um without a doubt that that uh that he gets yeah. it done there like there, there there is absolutely a chance that this doesn't work out but um, I tend to to think that this is about as good as it could have gone for, for USC. And I do expect them to to end up being back and in, into being a, a national power here pretty soon.
1: It's going to be fun. I mean, unless you're a USC hater, obviously this is like a disaster scenario for you, yep. <laughs> uh, but it, it's going to be fun. Like it's going to mix things up. You know, it's kind of been status quo for Oklahoma these last seven or eight years under Lincoln Riley. And, and, you know, I, I, this instantly becomes one of the top two or three storylines heading into next season. And, it's just so hard to think of a comparison. It's like, obviously, you know, Nick Saban coached LSU and then he went to Alabama. Urban Meyer went from Florida to Ohio State, but there were stops mm-hmm. in between. You know, it wasn't yes. a just I'm coaching you here. And now one week later, I'm coaching you. Um, you know, those don't really feel the same. I, I mean, like in college basketball, we had Roy Williams go from Kansas to North Carolina mm-hmm. directly. Like, that's probably the closest thing I could think of. But yeah, I mean, it just speaks to how big of a deal this is. Like, I don't think we're overstating it. It's, it's going to be a really fun storyline to follow.
2: Yeah, it, it's insane. It's it's such a, a huge development. It was totally unexpected. I, I don't think that anyone thought that USC was mm-hmm. going to be the ones that that win the the Lincoln Riley sweepstakes. And it, I mean, it's such a big deal that like Billy Napier getting hired at Florida yesterday is is like a, a back page story yeah, right. essentially when, when you're breaking down what this weekend was.
1: So let's get to the game, Oklahoma Oklahoma State. Uh, we'll start here and then then we'll move on through the other big games of the weekend, uh, Oklahoma State outlasts Oklahoma 37 to 33 come from behind win. they score 13 points uh, in the fourth quarter to take this one in Stillwater. Um, Spencer Rattler did not play in this game. We we, we saw Caleb Williams hold on to the job through the entire game which has not been a lock these last few weeks Uh, and of course Rattler uh, has since announced that he will transfer although it seemed like that was probably coming uh, regardless of whether Lincoln Riley was still the coach there but a solid game for Caleb Williams over 250 yards three touchdowns but uh, on the whole, kind of outplayed by Spencer Sanders, who did throw two picks, uh, didn't have the same yardage as Caleb Williams, but 16 carries for 93 yards and a touchdown uh, for Spencer Sanders in this one. And, you know, we'll kind of keep referencing this, I think, as we go through uh, Michigan, Ohio State, uh, and some of the other big games this weekend. But uh, Oklahoma State very much positioning itself to to be knocking on the door. if it can If it can beat Baylor in the Big 12 title game, this weekend um, still maybe need some help depending on how you view these scenarios, but sitting at number five in the AP, um, it it could ultimately be a question of one loss Oklahoma state with wins over Oklahoma and Baylor uh, versus undefeated Cincinnati. And, you know, the doomsday scenario, I think, and and we talked about this off air, John, is Alabama beating Georgia in the sec title game, meaning both of those teams are getting in Mm -hmm. Michigan beating Iowa to, to probably hold steady at number two and get in. Uh, and then Oklahoma state beating Baylor to move to 12 and one. So then you'd be looking at that one loss Oklahoma state scenario versus undefeated Cincinnati. If you're Cincinnati, that, that is not a position you want to be in.
2: No, you, you don't want any part of that. So that, that would be, that would make things really tricky on the committee. It would be the, the one of the truer tests, uh, to the committee about their, their true respect, um, of, of an undefeated group of five team. And, uh, I don't know. It, it helps that they're they're playing Houston. Houston's good. That I think they only have one loss uh, to, and it was 2 a Power Five team. And they, they've been really, really rock solid. I don't think they've gotten enough credit throughout the year. But you know, it's still not the same as beating a Baylor for for a Power Five uh, championship. Um, the way that Oklahoma State is positioned to. So yeah, if 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 we see a scenario where where those two SEC schools get in, it's going to make it. Uh, and, and then we see a, a one loss conference champ, OK State. Then I think yeah, if you're a Cincy fan, you you have to be extremely worried that that you get um, left at, at number five and you're on the outside looking in. Despite you know two incredible years, and you basically need to have two incredible years um, to get any to get to this point um, as a group of five teams. So it's not just the one year. Um, that's just kind of the standards they have to go by. And uh, man, it's uh, it, it really sets up as a crazy one. And you know, I, I think that Baylor has a chance to beat Oklahoma State. I, I think that Oklahoma State wins, but. That's going to be a really, really good game. I don't think it's a guarantee that OK State uh, wins this one. And that, I mean, it was such a war on, on Saturday night. I mean, they, they made these costly mistakes where you just thought that they were just letting the game completely slip through their hands. All these turnovers that were just so costly, um, the the Presley uh, dropped punt, um, all this stuff. And you're just like, oh, my God. But they found a way to win. They scored those 13 unanswered in, in the uh, fourth quarter to, to get it done and it's yeah, super impressive so that they have about as good of a resume as you could hope for, for a non top four team right now. And they're definitely knocking on that door if they finish the drill on Saturday.
1: So I think the most exciting game of the week and the one that, that most people were looking forward to uh, was the dreaded 11 AM kickoff between Ohio <laughs> state and Michigan. Um, I, I, for one was glad to see Michigan get a win here. I have no dog in this fight. I don't really care who wins these games, but this is such a fun rivalry that, you know, even if you don't root for one team or the other, like I just want it to be more equal. It's not fun when one team has won like 14 out of 15 or whatever it was. Right. Um, so I, w- I was glad to see Michigan get back, um, you are kind of on the right side of this rivalry finally. And, and to do it in, in convincing fashion, you know, there was no caveat here. It wasn't like Ohio state was missing two of its three best offensive players, or there was some fluky block punt or something like that. Like Michigan just walked up and down the field all over Ohio state for most of this game and credit to Ohio State for for answering a lot of those scores early in the game, but that Ohio State defense just could not get stops when it needed to in the second half. And Asan Haskins five touchdowns in this game, um, and it's not you know it's not like Michigan had a ton of huge plays. Uh, you did have the one you know big run by Corum, uh, but other than that, it was just you know five seven yards every single play, and you're just methodically marching up and down the field. Um, I, I didn't even think yeah I thought C.J. Stroud played pretty well, almost had 400 yards. You had you know, four guys for Ohio state had catches at least 25 yards. So those explosive plays were there, but at the end of the day, they just could not stop this Michigan team. And like I said, I, 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 this was a really convincing win. I I think this was more Michigan going in there and just thoroughly outplaying Ohio state than some sort of fluky scenario that results in Michigan getting a rare win in this rivalry.
2: Yeah, it was, it was unbelievable. Like that, that game so delivered on, on, on the promise of, you know, what a two versus five, um, matchup should, should look like and you know you get the snow going at the big house it's it's completely bonkers in there um, it was just so fun to watch um, it, you know in addition to, to Haskins I, I think that the big story of the game and, and this guy might you know kind of be positioning himself to be the, the number one overall pick in April is Aiden Hutchinson I, I think I saw PFF say that he had 15 pressures um, in that game like that is just That's just like setting up shop in in the Ohio State uh, backfield. And it's not like Ohio State had some sort of ragtag offensive line that people were worried about going into this game. Like they have guys that are going to get drafted off that offensive line um, on the left side and that tackle. So Hutchinson just was a complete game wrecker. And and it goes to show, you know, like the, the old adage that like if you if you can truly dominate the line of scrimmage, you can completely change. A game and it, it reminds me a little bit of what Ohio State did to Clemson last year where they just uh, although Stroud was able to to have a better game than Trevor Lawrence did against Ohio State last season but but you know similar idea where if you just wreck that line of scrimmage and you get the quarterback off off balance at least a little bit again Stroud's numbers w- were good but certainly not quite to to where we saw in recent weeks you know being held to eight yards per attempt having just the two touchdowns um, a, a far cry from, from what we had seen from him overall. And then, like you said, anytime that Ohio State would, you know, get something going through, through the air, or maybe, maybe get a score, Michigan would answer right back. The offensive line just totally whipped, uh, Ohio State's front seven, like up and down the field. They just kept getting those chunky yardage, like you said, and it was just a, a good, like, just like the epitome of like if you look up a definition of like a a big 10, butt whooping like that's kind of what Michigan put on them when, when they had the ball, as far as like, it's not explosive necessarily, but it's just like a a mean hard six, seven yards every single time that that they're getting the ball. Yeah. Yeah, For, for Haskins to to average six yards per carry over 28 carries is that's impressive stuff there. And and the long was just 27. So that, that just goes to show you that consistently he was picking up yardage and, and, you know, at a certain point, a defense just can't really do a whole lot about that. So, so Michigan obviously kind of put the game in its favor officially in the third quarter, Ohio state, but punch, punch back in, in the fourth, but Michigan was, was able to, to answer. And yeah, Michigan, like I don't think that they're going to win the natty, but they, they have some serious, serious ingredients though, especially on, on the defensive side of the ball with um, with Hutchinson, especially.
1: I think the, the Hutchinson versus Kayvon Thibodeau conversation is officially on at this point. Uh, and I think that'll be interesting to monitor, you know, as the, as the NFL draft approaches, but three sacks for Hutchinson, like you said, Ojabo had one as well, four sacks for the Michigan defense, eight tackles for loss for the Michigan defense, zero sacks for Ohio state, zero tackles for loss uh, for the wow. Buckeyes. So that that's really where the game was won. I will say, I, I texted some friends that, you know, that we, we always chat college football with. And after McNamara threw that just horrific, interception in the red zone or in the end zone. I was like, here we go. You know, Michigan needed mm-hmm. to come down and close this out. Uh, they needed to to finish off this drive, go up 14, nothing to be in control. I thought that was what was going to change the game for Ohio state. And it, it just never came.
2: It it never did, man. It, it, it was, yeah, that that's the resiliency. That that's like the stuff that you see, uh, you know, I, I've referenced it a million times. Uh, I feel like this season, but you know, like when, when you're on kind of like the, the right side of an upset, you need to to avoid those big mistakes. Otherwise, you know, the tide can turn so quickly. I talk about the that AM game where, where um that they got the punt blocked and, and Alabama recovers it for a touchdown. It's like, okay, like here we go. Like Bama's about to just pull away. Mm-hmm. And then AM punched right back with that kick return for a touchdown. And like it, it felt like, yeah, Michigan's ability to respond and to not panic. Um, what was really just such a key there because yep. other teams have, have, you know, we saw it with, with Michigan state the week before the second, they get punched by Ohio state, they they immediately went down for the count and and Michigan yep. just took it on the chin and and kept going.
1: So I want to frame it uh, this way now. And, and, you know, Georgia coming off of a, another romp this week against an inferior opponent. Awesome. They're clearly, they're clearly the best team in the country. There's no question about that. It's been wire to wire. Uh, essentially. Are, are you relieved in any way? that Ohio State is probably out of the playoff picture at this point. And and Michigan now, of course, uh, sets up for uh, a battle against Iowa to officially seal its spot in the playoff. But I I think a lot of people saw Ohio State as maybe the biggest threat to Georgia because of that explosive ability uh, of that Ohio State offense. So with the Buckeyes out of the picture, does that make you feel any better about Georgia? Or now do you look at how Michigan played and say, man, this, this team can maybe be close to as physical as we are?
2: Yeah, that that like the, those two teams have a very similar play style. Just a, a defense running the ball, not asking the quarterback to do a ton. But yeah, Ohio State. Would, um I think, if you asked myself or, or any other Georgia fan, I, I think Ohio State presented the the biggest threat. And you know that with the potential, at least I, I thought there was. We'll, we'll get to it. But uh, you know, I thought there was more potential if Georgia were, were to lose to Alabama and and Georgia draws Ohio State in the first round or something. It's like, oh man, like they might not even you know get a win in the playoff um, as, the, um, as a team that had been the number one ranked uh, squad all year long, just because I, I was so worried about um, the, the offense that, that Ohio state brings to the table with Garrett Wilson, with Olave Smith and Jigba Trevion Henderson, like that's so much to deal with. Um, it would have been, I I think that I might've no, I, I was legitimately concerned about that as a Georgia fan. Um, I, I think that Ohio state had those ingredients to potentially um, solve that, that Georgia defense and, uh, you know, Georgia hadn't really played a, a truly elite offense yet this season. So that would have been just a kind of a shock to the system. So yeah, n- now that Ohio state's pretty much out of the picture here, um, I-, I definitely feel a little bit more relieved.
1: Yeah, as you should, I mean, as good as Michigan looked and, and they're going to be uh, certainly a tough out, assuming they do get by Iowa. Uh, I-, I think almost anybody would agree that you want to dodge that Ohio state offense if given the choice, <laughs> Um, so we saw Baylor take down Texas tech 27, 24 to clinch that spot in the big 12 title game where they will face okay. State. Um, let, let's do, uh, let's do Alabama Auburn while, yes. while we're on the topic of the dogs and the sec. I have a
2: funny story about this. Okay. Please proceed. Okay. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm watching the, the iron bowl I'm I'm watching the, the early goings of it. I'm texting my friends like, God, bam is about to just wipe the floor with them. And then, you know, the, the game continues on. Uh, and it it stays really, really low scoring. You're like, maybe, uh, maybe somehow that this is going to happen. Finley kind of hurts his foot, so he's already not a mobile guy, and and he's kind of just stumbling around there on one leg. But Auburn's defense is just constantly hitting Bryce Young over and over and over again. You're like, man, like this is is the type of game that – this is exactly what would have needed to happen for this upset to occur. And when – so (laughs) – When Auburn stopped Alabama on that fourth and two with about two minutes left, um, so I'm I'm back home in, in Maryland over over the holiday. Uh, I invite, invite one of my buddies over, and we're we're gonna go out in D.C. later in the evening. So he he shows up. This is the first time I've seen him since the pandemic. So I go upstairs, and you know we're we're chatting. He's chatting with my family, and I, I'm completely stress free at this point. I'm like, oh my god, like Alabama just lost too. Like this is so sick. And then um, I, I, I hear my phone or I feel my phone buzzing and I check it and it's my friend from Tuscaloosa. And they're, they're saying this stuff that, that is kind of open to interpretation, like what are the football gods doing all this stuff? And then I, I so I don't really know what to make of that. And I just assume that they're just like lamenting the fact that the football gods have have frowned upon Alabama on this day. I go downstairs to to uh, to grab something before we head out and it's 20 to 20 in the second overtime, like, no, no, this couldn't have possibly happened. So I, I had a friend for me kind of fill in the gaps later in the night as to how Auburn blew that that end-of-game sequence. I guess a running back went out of bounds, um, that, and that saved Alabama 40 seconds or whatever. And then it goes to show you how scary Alabama is, that, that they can literally be in, like, the worst possible position. Like, you have to go 99 yards to, to, win, to, uh, to tie this game, and they're able to do it. That just shows that you cannot kill Bama until they are dead. Like that, that until the clock is at zero, and I, I've yeah. I've certainly been the guy that that's seen that and lived through that before, and it, it remains true even if this team from from Tuscaloosa this year doesn't feel quite as good as, as it's been in recent years, it doesn't feel like that they they're they're a cut below uh, what what they've yep. been in in recent years, but still like that that goes to show you that even even if that's the case, they are still so dangerous when they're when they're coached by Nick Saban. You have Bryce Young back there.
1: Yeah, I mean, much like Ohio State, you're you're not. You're not jacked up to play this team in the SEC title game. Even if every indication is that Georgia is the better team and has proven to be the better team week after week, it's still Alabama, and, and you still know anything can't happen. So I, I guess in some ways, like I, my apologies to you uh, <laughs> that the Crimson Tide ended up winning and are, are still very much in this thing. But, I mean, this was such an ugly game. 26 combined tackles for loss <laughs> between these two teams. Alabama had 15 tackles for loss in six sacks in this game and, and Auburn on the other side took down Bryce Young seven times.
2: Yeah. I mean, they, they were getting through that that, like I think Alabama had to bench one of their tackles at one point, like it was yeah. really bad on, on that Bama front. And that, that's, that's how AM beat them too. It was, they were, they were just living in that Alabama backfield. And I, I think that if Georgia does something similar, um, yeah. I, I think they will be able to win on Saturday, but, but uh, Georgia, for their own right, ha- has to get their offensive line figured out because Will Anderson is like that game record type. He's a different type of, uh, or plays a different position than Aiden Hutchinson does at Michigan. But yeah, he seems like the latest kind of like Alabama defensive freak show. I mean, a sack and three three tackles for loss. And it felt like he even did more than that. Like a, it, like the, the box score doesn't really reflect how just kind of impactful that, that guy was on a snap-to-sap basis. That guy is out of control.
1: So we saw LSU take down A&M, sending off Coach O with a win. Uh, in his final home game, 27 24. Uh, the Kenny Pickett possible parade to Heisman finalist uh, rolls on uh, with Pittsburgh winning 31 14 at Syracuse. Clemson 30 to nothing over South Carolina. Uh, Michigan State beats Penn State at home, closing out like the weirdest season of all time for Penn State. <laughs> uh, some, somehow ending this season with a losing record in conference. I don't know what this like, just a bizarre, bizarre year for Penn State. Uh, Oregon held on against Oregon State. Uh, are we missing anything of major relevance here?
2: Um, a little bit of, of a Friday flavor uh, here. Uh, UNC had a pretty legendary meltdown at the end of that game against NC State. I think NC State was down like 30 to 21 with two or three minutes left. Uh, final score in regulation, NC State 34, UNC 30. So um, kind of a tough way for for likely the end of uh, the Sam Howell era at at UNC to, to end. It was a bad year for UNC, who, you know, badly – uh, underperformed expectations, especially in a year where where Clemson, for its own right, also kind of kind of you know dropped off. Everyone kind of just assumed that Clemson was going to have another buy to to the to the playoff yet again, and that you know if even if they were to lose to Georgia, it wouldn't really matter for them. Um, but they're not even playing in the ACC championship game, and then ah uh, the Nebraska thing that, that happened on Friday afternoon was truly truly remarkable. Nineteen. Uh, unanswered points in in the fourth quarter for Iowa to to, for them to come back after you know Nebraska takes a a 21 to to 9 lead into that one and they were crushing like I thought Nebraska looked good especially with no Adrian Martinez I was like oh man this is kind of like I might buy some stock in Nebraska for next year and uh no no
1: no I would always advise you against doing that (laughs) you Um, you
2: are my, my my stonks advisor uh for for college football teams to invest in so thank you sir
1: Wisconsin loses 23, 13 to Minnesota, just mm. crushing, awful, awful game. I thought this was, I, I'm trying not to like be too hyperbolic, but I think this was Paul Chriss' worst game in a long time at Wisconsin that the Badgers at one point in this game threw the ball or dropped back to pass, I should say on 16 consecutive plays. And it's not like it, this was not like a super late game scenario where you have to be stopping the clock and all that. Like they just completely abandoned the run in this game. Um, you know, a couple of those ended up in Mertz scrambles that went essentially nowhere uh, but Braylon Allen got banged up. I think it was the first or second drive. He, he kind of got his ankle twisted Oof. and didn't look the same the rest of the game. And it, by by the end of the third quarter, they just completely abandoned that. And Graham Mertz, I thought, went a little rogue. You know, it's like third and three, and you're throwing you're throwing like the Aaron Rodgers deep ball down the sideline, um, which just failed over and over and over and over. He finished 21 of 38, 171 in a pick. Uh, but, but really, at the end of the day, I thought the Wisconsin defense was the bigger letdown here. Like the, the offense obviously putting up 13 points, is a disappointment but it, in some ways it, it resembled that ohio state michigan game where it's like repeatedly you have you know you absolutely need this stop on third and three and all of a sudden that the tight end is running free for a 20-yard game um and, and that just seemed to happen over and over and over minnesota had um i mean four different players had receptions of at least 27 yards in this game no wisconsin player even had a 20-yard reception
2: my goodness yeah i that that to me was one of the more surprising outcomes on Saturday. I, ca- I cannot believe that that it went down that way. I really felt like Ohio or that Wisconsin was playing well enough uh, over the later part of the season to where it's like they're they're going to give anyone that they face in Indianapolis a hell of a game. They might not win it, but they're get, it's going to yep. be it's going to be a war. And now we don't even get to see that. Like that that the the fact that this this was so costly as far as um, winning the West. It's just such a bummer. Like I, I do, still feel in my heart of hearts, and it, again, I I am like a, a Wisconsin well wisher and everything. So like the, there's yep. a little bit of that, but I do feel like Wisconsin when they play their best is the the best team in the in the Big Ten West, and it for for us to not be able to see that, and and for an Iowa yeah. team that that kind of gets by on smoke and mirrors to be the one that comes out of it, it's disappointing.
1: I know I I got a big uh, Milwaukee Friendsgiving coming up. On Saturday night, with a, a bunch of my buddies from UW uh, coming over for that, like the whole thing was like, "All right, we'll have, we'll have a nice dinner. Everybody will be here. We'll watch the Big Ten title game. Uh, now we're going to be gathered around to watch a Michigan-Iowa game instead." N-
2: oh, like, man! What a that's a, what a rug pull that is. That's mm-hmm. oh, I'm sorry. Well, at least you still have Friendsgiving. That'll be fun.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, nonetheless, uh, at least we can all commiserate together. Yeah, we got one, we got but... a big
2: squad uh, descending upon Atlanta th- this weekend. I don't oh, know oh, if, if too many of us are going to the game, but um, we, we're already we're already scouting out out uh, establishments to go to. I'm I'm using some some PTO to uh, just take oh, the day really? and and enjoy myself. And uh, man, I'm so excited! Uh, I'm going to be a grown man barking in public
1: on Saturday. I can't wait. <laughs> 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 oh man well i cannot wait to to preview that week and honestly it's a, it's a good time to be taking pto if you're john mckechnie because what we only have like what 10 total games or something that on friday and saturday Yep,
2: yeah, i wouldn't do it if, if uh if it was going to be a crazy day but yeah it's it'll be manageable for for the guys at roto HQ. so have no oh, fear yeah. listener the, the 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 coverage will be as quality as ever uh even if, even if i've stepped aside uh for a brief moment but yeah it's uh totally manageable. And uh, man, I, uh, I'm so excited for Saturday. I'm like giddy.
1: Yeah. Shout out to Chris Benzine and the boys holding it down on Saturday football news. Uh, Georgia opens as a six and a half point favorite, uh, of course, in what should be a neutral game uh, against Alabama. So enjoy that one, man. I I will still find a way to enjoy watching the big 10 title game. We got a full pack slate on Saturday, starting with big 12 at 11 a.m. Central Uh, Georgia Bama, of course, mid afternoon, as always, Uh, and then Big Big Ten uh, and ACC uh, get the nightcaps on Fox and ABC, respectively. So we'll break all those down later this week. Looking forward to it, buddy.
2: Yes, sir.